Welcome to the Trust Your Voice podcast. My name is Sylvie Legere, and as a civically engaged entrepreneur, the co-founder of the Posse Circle, and a mom, I've noticed that too often we underestimate our leadership potential, and we forget that we can be a catalyst. I believe that no matter where you are in life, it is meaningful conversations, like the one we will have today, that ignite new ways to think about our purpose. You can be a spark for others. You just need to trust your voice, even if it's a little shaky. So let's start the show. Hi, Sylvie here. Today, we are sparking a conversation with Ashley Marsh, who is a partner with Marsh Collective. This is an interesting concept. It's a collective of entrepreneurs who empower businesses and leaders to make an impact in their companies and most importantly, their communities and reach their goals through what they call redemptive vision consulting. And we'll learn about what this is in our conversation. Ashley and the leaders at Marsh Collective believe in creating emotional architecture where stories are considered before structures and where people are aligned with profits. In short, they help leaders engineer a vision that brings human flourishing to people and places that are broken. So I want to say that this podcast is part of a series of recordings that I did for the Posse Circle Summit on Thriving Communities. And I wanted to bring to you this episode because I think that you will find my conversation with Ashley fascinating as we discuss really how to spark a new life in a community that lost its way. Ashley works with community leaders around the country and helps them turn an idea into a vision that is grounded in history and values of its people. So let's let us spark and start the show. So Ashley, your enterprise with your husband, John, is to bring back to life rural communities and from your website said to create hope for community leaders. I'd love to start by telling us how you started and what is the focus of Marsh Collective? So John and I got started in a little downtown area of Opelika that actually was one of the founders' houses of Opelika, Alabama. John and I have been married for 30 years this year, uh, which is amazing. But at the time, we had just been married and we could not afford anything. And so we bought this house and it was so awful and it was in the worst neighborhood. And we just, uh, we loved on it. It took us six years to renovate it. And so through all that, we ended up finding out that, you know what, we actually love bringing beauty to these broken structures. And it brought such a change and impact to that community because it actually brought light in that community. It was just so forgotten. And then when we found out, honestly, we weren't really history buffs at the time. But when we found out that it actually was our founding fathers of the city of Opelika and Lee County and everything, that this was their homes that they built for their families and that it had they had been so neglected and disregarded and everything. I was like, I wonder how many places that this is happening all over, that people have really forgotten the heartbeat of who their city is while they're even there. You know, founding fathers um, of places are the entrepreneurs of today, right? They, they go in and they're foraging an area and they have this grand idea and vision and they care so much about it that they plant themselves there, they bring their families there and they start energizing this dream. And a lot of times we find that those are the first neighborhoods to go. A lot of times they're right next to the downtown community area. And typically they are the, um, the places that have the most history in them. But people just forget who they are and they move on. So the focus of Mount Marsh Collective definitely is that we're trying to make a generational difference. We're doing that by adding value to the people and places that we are actually working with. 
We know who we are. Opelika is a group of makers. We're visionaries. We treat ourselves like a family as far as Marsh Collective goes. Everyone that works with us, we're our entrepreneurs. We all have our own individual businesses, and then we all work together. We bring um, a vision to a place that doesn't have a place, or we actually become vision engineers to um, help people like be guided with their vision to help them get to where they're trying to go. We definitely work with uh, different makers and communities to actually bring about like a redemptive purpose to their community. We believe in redeeming spaces, and we believe that. John, my sweet husband, actually um, makes up his own words, which he's a lot of fun to spend time with. But he has a word that um, he calls redemptification. Instead of it being gentrification, which actually, unfortunately, is sometimes not the best for most areas, we have come to the conclusion that redemptification is redeeming a space and a place back to its intended use of beauty and glory. In other words, how did they mean for this place to really be? But our focus is definitely on making a generational difference in our communities with our companies and our couples that we work with. And we do that by helping patrons bridge the gap between any redeeming vision of financial sustainability. And we have execution to pioneering a new asset class of real estate, which we call irreplaceable real estate. That's what we're working on right now. And so that's pretty much what we do as our who we are, I guess you could say. Oh, that's interesting. So share with us who comes to you to redeem their community and what's their motivation? Because it's a, it mm. seems such a, sometimes it looks like it could be a project that seems impossible. Who comes to you and then what do they want to achieve? We actually have different groups of people that all have the same reason for coming to us. So we have people that actually bought by the entire towns. We have private individuals that maybe went back to their hometown, birth town, and bought the entire place to revive it. And then we also have committed patrons in a bigger, a larger city that might group together to come and bring impact and change to their area. Typically, they all have the common thread is that they're so compelled they can't shake it. It's kind of like that conversation you're having in the shower, so to speak, that you just can't stop thinking about it, thinking about it, talking about it. Everything that you're doing is being driven by this idea that you have that you actually can bring change and a difference to where you are. So what is the starting point? You talked a little bit about understanding the history of the place first. Is that the starting point? And what are perhaps like the three pillars of defining, of engineering a vision for a community? That's a harder question because a lot of times people will come to us and really believe they have a vision and what they have is an idea. And, you know, vision actually is something that it, and, and ideas can be very compelling, but um, they, they come to us a lot of times with something a little bit more unbaked and they've gone from this great idea and they've started implementing it. So they've, they've already started buying buildings. They've already started working with people. They've, they've got all these things going. And then they're like, hey, wait a minute. Why isn't this working? We made it pretty. No one's renting it. We made it, you know, we brought a business in. No one's down here shopping. And they don't understand a lot of times the different things of the, uh, the formula that it takes to get there appropriately. And the way that John and I learned that, honestly, was just by spending our own money and messing up a lot for a long period of time before we realize, hey, we actually understand this now. So the three things that we start with, they have to know if we're going to work with them is they have to be able to answer these questions. Who are you? 
And that is um, a question that's difficult to ask as an individual or answer as an individual. And it gets really difficult when you're trying to answer for your city or your town to say, who are you? The next one is, who do you serve? Who is it that you're trying to attract and actually bring to you? And why does that even matter? And then the last one is, who is going to pay for it? And that's not just on the side of who's going to pay for the services you're trying to bring. It's like literally who are going to be the people that stand up and actually invest in this with you. And you have to know those things. If you don't, we're just going to sit there and talk and whiteboard all day. And it's fun, but it's not progress. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. It's the second time I'm actually hearing this comment about who are you? And that's what drives the change, right? Who is this city or this town or this community? What are we? And then also, who do you want to serve? And and you're flipping the model in terms of saying, oh, we want to attract people. It's like, no, you're really bringing in that leader, servant leader kind mm-hmm. of idea here. Who do, who do we want to serve? And then ultimately, the, sustain, the financial sustainability, how is this going to be viable from mm-hmm. the beginning and then going forward in a viable way? So what makes a successful team that commits to a community like that? What are the, the types of people, the, the skill set, the pieces that need to be brought together to come into a community successfully? Absolutely. Well, we believe that there are specific roles of individuals or types of individuals that have to be on your team. And they, they all have very clear responsibilities with their roles. And so we believe that there are patrons, there's proprietors, pioneers and planners. And then we also believe there's stakeholders storytellers, salesmen, and strategy stewards. Now, those are a lot of like different labels and everything, but in a nutshell, you actually have to have a team that understands that there is an investment, that there are great ideas and vision. They are implicated to be in that space. They have influence to carry what needs to happen and you have someone that's interceding. Now that interceding can be a spiritual intercession, but it also can be standing in front of the people that are the big, bad, scary people sometimes that you have to push change against. Most of the time, the only two groups that we stand against bringing change is going to be to do with possibly city codes, regulations, um, getting things moved in that direction. Or sometimes it's people that just don't like change in the community because it's frightening. It's frightening to bring something new sometimes. So those are the people. And most of the time, what we have is we have a lot of people that um, when they bring their team, a lot of times the team that comes along with um, the individuals are friends or maybe it's, you know, um, sometimes it's relatives and they all have a really great energy about them of wanting to do something great. But most of the time, they're just not on the right position on the team. So that's where it gets confusing. Yeah, it gets good. And it's a great list of roles. And I particularly like that storyteller mm. role where, because you need to be able to communicate. And that's the big part of also bringing on board different stakeholders and maybe smoothening or really getting people interested in adopting the changes, being able to tell the story and tell the vision. So that's really interesting. So business leaders that I talk to want to tap into new talent pools and give people a second chance. The challenge is how do people in underserved communities find out about open jobs? How can people looking to improve their circumstances find the support and the training that's available in their communities? Those are the problems that RiseKit is addressing. 
RiceKit.co is a platform that connects overlooked talent with the community support, the training programs, and the employers they need to rise to better employment opportunities. If you are an employer, a job seeker from an underserved community, or a service provider, visit RiceKit.co to be part of a network committed to breaking the cycle of poverty. Now let's get back to the episode. What are the pitfalls to watch out for? Like when a project is brought to you, what have you had cases where you said, I don't think this is going to be viable and here's Mm -hmm. why. What are some of the pitfalls or red flags that you look for and that you bring up front? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a lot of times, most of the time, whenever we actually are meeting with people, it's someone they're calling us and reaching out to us and saying, hey, we heard we need to talk to you guys. You're the best at this. Can you help us, you know, do something? So our team will get on um, a call with them or we'll drive or fly and visit with them. And the pitfalls that we see that people have run into is, again, they think their ideas are a vision and they believe that's so compelling to other people. And true vision is really what compels money, investors, all the people I was just speaking of, the patrons, the proprietors, the people that will stand with them. Strong, clear vision is what brings them to the table. If you have a great idea that's trying to get to a vision and you're working on that already, it it becomes really like muddied water. It's hard to really get clarity on who's doing what, why they're doing it, where we're going, why are we going there, what's the ultimate goal, right? And so that's one of them is just really believing that your idea is a vision. Starting something without having your team in the right place. So typically... We will get started in on a project with people after they've already invested a lot of time, a lot of money. They've got a lot of people sitting at the table wondering what to do and how to do it. And most of the time, they're very influential people, whether politically pull, have some great pull, or a lot of times it might be financially having the resources to actually invest that in there. And they're running out of time to actually constantly come to the table and no one have a clear idea of who needs to be doing what. The team is huge. John and I and our team actually created something we call the momentum method. And it actually gives like uh, basically seven steps that you take to actually get to success. And then what we believe is succession to say, hey, who's going to carry this after you're done? Because it's like it's so easy to get trapped in that thought of it's the right now. But if we're really going to be changers, if we're really going to be impactors and communities, not just John and I, but anyone that wants to do any of this type of work, you have to think about the succession after you. It can't be just a benevolent attitude of thinking it's always just going to take care of itself. That's not a good way to look at that. The last thing I would say is having the wrong type of investors or capital, a misalignment in that, not having the right people speaking into how those contracts are devised and whether it's property procurement, whether it's the development to the landlord, to the proprietor, whatever it is, if that's not aligned and it's incorrect and it's all always about money or if it's always about beauty or if it's, if it's swinging any direction really hard, it's just going to be hard for that to succeed. So those, oh, are, those, are, those are great. Yeah, those are, those are really interesting pitfalls to watch out for. So my question is, you talk about vision. Can you give us an example of what's a vision for a community? Just with ours, you know, we actually, when we first started working, I mentioned our house that we started on, right? And we, 
ended up looking around the neighborhood and saying, hey, this is a mess here. There's people living here, but no one had joy or life about them. I grew up in Opelika, Alabama. My husband's from Albany, Georgia. And when I grew up, I had the privilege of growing up in a mill village. Now, that was the other side of the tracks type neighborhood, but it was a very close-knit neighborhood. And they actually all spent a lot of time with each other and knew each other. But my excursions that I got to do was to come to downtown Opelika. And it was amazing to me as a little girl. You know, I had these big old buildings and everything. And I always look forward to it. Whenever I was around 21, walking downtown was a lot different for me. And the buildings were all closed up. There was no business happening in downtown. It was sad. It was a little bit frightening. It wasn't a place you would go or want to go. And I made a comment. I was like, I'm not okay with this. Well, to say something like that is an energizing thought. And it actually gets some of those emotions and things going to go into a further conversation. So my husband like, oh, well, if you're not okay with this, then let's do something about it, right? Let's activate that. And so his solution to that was, we're going to go and what we're going to do is we're going to figure out how we can buy these old buildings that nobody wants. And to tell you the truth, Sylvie, people were giving them to us. They're like, please take this liability. we got to pay tax on it, insurance on it, all the stuff. You know, it's like, you can have it, whatever. So there we sat. Now, our idea was we weren't okay with it. We're going to save this. We're going to do something impressive, right? And so we started working a little by little and painting the buildings, fixing them up, putting some major spit shine on them, even when we couldn't really afford things. And then we step back and we're like, they're going to come. You know, if you build it, they'll come mentality. Well, they didn't come. No one came. No one came to rent these beautiful buildings that we'd saved and we had put everything into and we didn't really have it to put into that. So we're like, oh, okay. Well, that that wasn't a vision. That was another idea that people would just have an idea to be with us and think we're cool and that's cool. Well, then we started realizing, wait a minute. So revitalization and renovation are not the same thing. That was one key stroke that we hit there. We actually have to be someone that sells this. We can't just expect it just to do it by itself. And then we have to understand who we want to bring here. Do they think like us? So we had to create a vision to say, that's how we came up with those three questions. Because we really had to, in order to get our vision for Opelika, we had to say, who are we? We knew for years, we had heard everyone say, and since I've been a little girl, they've said, well, we're not Auburn. Auburn University is our back door. It has a big, huge university. They have amazing resources available to them. It's a really cool town. But that's not who Opelika was. Opelika was judged all the time by that. We're manufacturers. We had all the big factories over here. You know, we're workers. And so John and I just sat and really thought about that. And I come from a generation of growing up in a mill village of workers. All of my family did. The beauty behind that is that we knew at the core of who Opelika is And what makes us so different than Auburn, if we're going to do a comparison, is that we're makers. At our heart, we're makers. And then it's like, what are we makers of? That's how we got to the vision of saying our vision for Opelika is to make a generational change of up to 75 to 100 years of what can we do that we create and that we implement that cannot be undone in the next 100 years that will bring beauty and honor to the makers of City of Opelika. And so we, we actually take that vision now and everything we do filters through that. Now we build vision filters for ourselves, and we build them for our communities that we work with of what's important and what's the values that you really want to approach 
all of the decisions that you're making in. Because if they don't align with that, then you're just making decisions that don't align with yourself. That's obviously a foolish way to go. It goes back to that key question of like who you are as a city. Yeah. And that's a starting point of building like the vision where it's a place where people can make, can create. And those are the type of people you want to attract. So it goes back mm-hmm. to your three questions. So, and it sounds like my last question was going to be in closing, you know, when you're faced with problems, a gridlock, and that seems impossible to get out of, what do you tell yourself? And it sounds like that's the question that you always go back to, right? Is who are we? That seems to be your way of unlocking a gridlock. Is, is that right? Or do you have like something else that maybe? No, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that it's easy for any of us to look over the fence, so to speak, at people that are doing good work and think that they don't actually deal with daily problems and issues. But we definitely have the same problems, obviously, that anyone else can. And one of the things that we always do is remind ourselves, who are we and why are we doing this? Why does it matter? If you know that, you can equip yourself with what's the next best step? What is the next best thing that I can do right now? Maybe I have to pivot that. Maybe it's not where I thought I was stepping. But if I have to turn from the left to go to the right, if I have to keep going forward and actually take a step back, what is the next good thing that I can do that goes in the right direction that does not violate the vision. And so even with my team, it definitely is, I I am constantly a challenger at the table whenever we finally land what the plan is, which by the way, we speak in a lot of different verbiage here at our, with our company. And one of them is provisional plan promise. That means provisionally is that we're going to speak about this. We're going to dream about it and talk about it. We do that with all of our clients. And we work to get to the plan. And the plan is obviously what we're going for. And the promise is no matter what it takes, we're going to get there. And that type of attitude, that's pre-decided before the situations happen. Because they do happen. They're going to happen. COVID's going to happen. The market's going to crash. It's going to happen. People are not going to show up. It's going to happen. Money's not going to be available. It's going to happen. All the things are going to happen. <laughs> so, and that's that's normal. And our place, I think, as um, being those vision engineers with them and that tension holder of actually helping them hold tight to what the dream really is, is reminding them who you are, who you serve. And we don't even have to get to who's going to pay for it. They Once they get energized in those two again, they they remember, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. Yes, yeah, the is. next step we can take right the now in towards our plan. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you so much for sharing what you do, your focus, and then talking about Vision Fort Town, the community. So thank you, Ashley. Really nice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ms. Sylvie. So I have two main takeaways from this conversation. The first one is when embarking on a project to relaunch a community, what I've learned here is that we have to ask ourselves if we are building on just an idea or if we are building on a vision for a community. And my second takeaway is that to shape that vision, you really need to be able to answer three questions. Who are you as yourself and also as a community? Who do you serve? 
and who is going to pay for it? And if you can answer these questions, then you'll have the pieces of the puzzle needed to define an inspiring vision and a vision that's really grounded in history and values. And you'll be able to get people on board with that vision because you're creating something that's a lasting North Star for really current and future leaders to make decisions and prioritize initiatives. So I think that like Ashley, we often see community leaders consumed by one idea, right? Like building a rec center, a hotel, a new stadium, and they forget about defining the bigger community vision in which that project fits in. So anyway, I hope this conversation sparks some new ways to think about shaping a vision for a community. And I want to thank you all for joining me today. Thank you for joining me, Sylvie Légère, on my Trust Your Voice podcast. I hope that this episode brought you a new way to think about your voice, how to trust yourself, and how to use your voice for good in your life and in your community. If you like this podcast, be sure to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. À bientôt.